The Start On Demand. On demand. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau joined us live on The Start today as COVID numbers continue to rise and apathy appears to be growing. How do we turn this around? We also talk today about snowbirds. No, not the airplanes. We're talking about Canadians who like to flee the country during the winter to warmer climates. What is the message for them? What are they going to do? They're going to stay? They're going to go? Or will they sell? And a Manitoba couple has played every golf course in the province, and it only took them 17 years to do it. What would be your bucket list tour? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, October 14th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning and... Greg, we have a special guest coming on at 7.37. We do? We do, Loren. It, uh, <laughs> it's been, you know, I guess it's, you could say it's a special guest. Would you agree? Well, it's someone we haven't spoken to in about two years, at least haven't spoken to directly. And we certainly heard a lot from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau over the past six months. In fact, I think there were probably several weeks in a row where we carried his voice live on CJOB because... We wanted to share what he was sharing with Canadians at the start of this pandemic. Well, now we're seven months in. Everything's going in the wrong direction in many parts of this country, not just Manitoba. And so Justin Trudeau will join us at 737 to answer some of our questions, because I think there are a growing number of Canadians who are frustrated and and have questions of their own about where this is all heading. Yeah, and the whole idea of where does the federal government fit into the solution Healthcare being a provincial jurisdiction, there are things, of course, that the federal government can do, recommendations that they can make over uh, you know, overriding guidance that are, is delivered to the provinces. But ultimately, it's up to the provinces to implement those plans. But you mentioned, Brett, just this idea, Loren talking about things going in the wrong direction. I was looking at a graph this morning where Manitoba is second only to Quebec Mm -hmm. in Canada with regards to cases per 100 or per 1,000 per capita, whichever calculation you prefer. And Quebec and Manitoba are sort of in a league all by themselves. And then the next closest province is half of what Manitoba is in terms of per capita cases for COVID-19 right now. So things have really gotten away from us in this part of the country very quickly. Yeah. And I, well, and go I ahead, was just going to say, Brett, I just wondered if there's sort of an attitude problem or, or just sort of this fatigue that we've talked about now for a few weeks, because I was reading this morning in Alberta, where they had a thousand cases over the Thanksgiving weekend. The top doctor there is appealing to folks to do the right thing when it comes to contact tracing apparently she's hearing a growing number of reports of albertans who once they've tested positive are really reluctant to share where they've been what stores they might have been to who they might have been in contact with for whatever reason and her actual quote yesterday was i know you're tired and i know you might be angry with all the restrictions but this is only making it worse and so i think not there's not just a numbers question about where we're going but but maybe an attitude one too brett 
And uh, a couple of things. First, Greg, good for you for looking at a graph so early this morning. Just, the, <laughs> just hearing the word graph. I looked at a graph. Makes my I love eyes. Graphs. Go- really? Oh, man. Yeah. My eyes just- e- especially the line graphs, because you're like down, up, up, up. Okay. Yeah, I can follow that. <laughs> I'm a bar graph guy yeah. myself. <laughs> pie chart. If it's a pie chart, I'm like, oh, Ooh. that is a lot of pieces of pie. No pie chart. And then you start good. thinking about pie. You know, I mean, it can go in a lot Trivial of Trivial pursuits, all sorts of different ways you can go with that. Um, but uh, the second thing is I, you know, when I found out yesterday that we were talking to the prime minister today at 737, I just asked on social media and various platforms, what would you like us to ask? And all kinds of interesting questions. Listener Bruce was saying, you know, why, what's the deal with the plastic ban? And I told him, he said, you probably, I know you probably won't ask him this, but that's what I'm curious about. And I said, I'm actually curious about that too. We only get 10 minutes with them. So that's part of the problem, yeah, of course, always. But uh, we got other interesting questions like Dr. Rahman Abdurrahman wants to know if uh, there will be coverage for psychological uh, or there will be psychological coverage because of pe- what people are dealing with with COVID-19. Another person asking, are you going to offer more support for veterans? And then, of course, one of my buddies says, I really want to know what he uses in his hair. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, his hair is a little bit uh, extra long and thick these days. He's grown that beard. And uh, Loren, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I feel he he looks a little bit more mature with the uh, beard for sure, but is kind of taming the maturity level with the length of the hair. It's sort of a balancing act he's got going on there. <laughs> I'm going to say something that seems off the wall here for a person who spent 18 years in television. Since I've moved to radio, I listen to so much more audio than I ever watch. And so not to say that I could care less about his hair, but I... I've seen it in some photos, but not so much uh, on air. So I, I have an uninformed opinion. There you go. Yeah, well, we will not be talking about his flow <laughs> no. or his beard. Uh, it was about a 45-second di- diversion here. So very much looking forward to speaking with the Prime Minister. The question, as always, I think when it comes to whether we're speaking to the Mayor, the Premier, or the Prime Minister... How many questions will he actually answer? How many answers uh, will be satisfactory, will actually be associated with the question? And that's a politician thing uh, as much as anything else. So we'll have to see how that goes this morning. So that's at 7.37. And I guess one of the things that we're going to be talking to the Prime Minister about as well is what what are snowbirds supposed to do this year? Mm. Because we know that... uh, fairly significant portion of this country flees the country for several months of the winter to go live, whether it's in Florida or Arizona or where else do snowbirds like to hang out? Mexico, they go to Texas uh, and Manitoba. Lots of people go to B.C., for the winter if they don't want to leave the country. And uh, Loren, we're going to be talking about the, the mental wellness index from Morneau Chappelle in about an hour's time. And one of the things I'm curious about ties into this whole golden carrot that dangles in front of us in this part of the country in particular. Often you'll hear people say, well, you know, we have the best summers in the country, arguably, Uh, The winters are harsh, but if you can get away for a week or two in the middle of the winter, it breaks it up nicely and it makes living in Manitoba that much more palatable. 
well, you don't have that now. So is it is it affecting our motivation? Yes. Because for a lot of us, that's the thing that gets us through <laughs> December and January and February is that trip to Mexico, is that hey. visit to California, whether it's in February or March or maybe early April, just that whole idea of you don't have that payoff, that reward for your for your dealing with winter. And I don't even know if it's the actual going, which obviously is the bonus. Sometimes it's just the fact that you can dream about it or plan it or say, I'd like to, or we're aiming for February or March or Christmas. And if not, you know, we, we've got some backup plans, but now you, you don't even want to sound sad. It's the saddest thing I'm about to say in a long time. You don't even want to dream you, because you don't want to be disappointed with where that's going to get you. You don't even want to dream. That's how I actually have that up on my wall in my apartment. <laughs> That's, that's so you much. want to market those? <laughs> you don't even want to dream wow. because you, <laughs> your dreams will inevitably be crushed, Brett McGarry. Oh, that man. sounds like I don't want to call that a. You know, I'm just going to stop right now. Uninspirational like sayings with no, Brett, Brett say, McGarry. If you're bringing someone home, that really just sums up a lot. Like, oh wow, you're super attractive. What is this about? What, no what, dreams. Okay. Isn't it, well, wasn't that what Homer Simpson said? The lesson is never, never try. try. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. If you are just tuning in, we are going to be speaking with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau coming up at 7.37. And in a moment, we're going to give you some details on how you can score yourself some Santa Lucia pizza uh, by texting us at 204-780-6868. And it has to do with something that a Manitoba couple has done. And unfortunately, I, I have some audio queued up here. I'm just trying to take it down. Normally... I would have just ragged the puck and and waited for my computer to unfreeze itself. It has oh, it you, has done that at last. You had the spinning wheel of doom, <laughs> yes, did you? Yes, I had the spinning blue wheel of doom, but it has stopped spinning. So it has taken some time, but a Winnipeg couple has achieved their quest of golfing every course in Manitoba. Global's Amber Magookin hit the links to share their story. For Doris and Frank Talbot, it's not four, but it's more like 142. By the couple's count, that's how many golf courses are in the province of Manitoba, and they've played every one. Just kind of looked around, and sometimes we'd add as we're driving, we found one one time that didn't know existed, and we kind of put the brakes on and <laughs> stopped in St. Rose in our northern tour. And yeah, so we really didn't have much an idea initially and it kept growing. The couple spent the last 17 years chipping away at their golf list. Some of the most memorable moments were on their northern tour. We had to drive like uh, uh, from Thompson another three and a half hours to get to Leaf Rapids to uh, do a golf course that was sort of open but the, uh, the uh, because they knew they were coming they uh, decided that we they would uh, 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 mow the grass on a few holes that were not open so they did that for us and uh, and that was pretty amazing. And with COVID-19 cancelling travel plans, the couple says touring the province through golf courses was a fun way to explore Manitoba. Like you know we'd stopped at some bed and breakfasts sometimes and then do a weekend of golf around there or um, just discovering little towns that we didn't know existed that had nice golf courses, nine hole golf courses often but very you know 
totally surprised sometimes. The couple now looks to play a round of golf in every province in Canada and then one day every state in the United States. Amber McGookin, Global News. 17 years they've golfed every course in Manitoba. Right now they want to cross the country and cross the United States. So we've got Jeff Braun here, Kelly Moore, Jeff Forte alongside McLean McGarry and McNabb to ask the question, what would your bucket list tour be? So you can text us at 204-780-6868 for your chance to win some Santa Lucia pizza. We'll give that away after 9.15, but let's go around the horn. Jeff Forte, master producer and master control. What say you, sir? I would like to visit as many stadiums or arenas as possible because there's nothing like getting into that stadium or arena and you're there with thousands of people. You all have the same mindset and that's to cheer on that sports team. That's to go see that concert. And there's nothing better than that feeling. And, oh, that's what I'd love to do. Now, does it, in, in any particular kind of stadium, does it matter? Like, I, I would love to go to an Australian football game just because of the shape of those stadiums. You ever but, seen one of those, Fortier? Well, they're giant, and they hold how many people? Like, close to 100,000? Like, I've never been to any stadium. Like, I've only been here. I've never been to a big stadium with, you know, 80,000 people. So I don't know what that's like, but I bet you that atmosphere would be crazy. Kelly Moore, what's the biggest stadium you've ever visited? Oh, boy. Uh, I would uh, probably have to say Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton. Uh, I haven't been to many of the uh, National Football League stadiums, uh, but, uh, you know, along with forts, I I would certainly like to, I'd like to just go watch Major League Baseball in every stadium, and I would start with Greg Mackling's favorite ballpark at Wrigley Field. Uh, but uh, something of a little bit more modest uh, on the bucket list that I could also do with my wife is to travel every Canadian province with her. I've been to most of them uh, traveling for hockey, but uh, uh, I think that would be one thing we'd like to do before uh, before the big send-off, so to speak. You're so romantic. I thought I sensed uh, isn't that romantic tisk yes. from you. Oh, that's basically how I was. Oh. <laughs> Good for you, oh. Kelly. Yeah, it is. It is cool when you can do uh, when you're used to doing something on your own or with your friends, and then you can then go with your significant other and do that stuff, and that's cool. I, I like. I, I have a couple of ideas. I love this golf course idea that this Manitoba couple has so done. So cool. But yeah. uh, the, for a more modest one to keep it within Manitoba. I just like to visit a restaurant in every town in Manitoba. Oh boy. I just, you know, one of the things that whenever I go to, like, cause we've gone to, I have a friend who lives in, in Selkirk and I know it's a city, but uh, you know, we've often gone to uh, like a chain restaurant there. But one time we stopped just at a local diner and I can't remember the name and I'm terribly sorry about that. It had been recommended to us by a listener and it was wonderful. The service was great. The food was amazing. And it was, it was the only place you could get that particular meal so it just it was and i visited a place i think in uh stonewall just sort of a it was like a greasy spoon kind of place and had an amazing burger so that would be a fun little excursion. i mean obviously you couldn't do it in a day but maybe uh, over the course of a summer why not yeah i think yeah, that that's plausible absolutely what about you jeff braun oh i would definitely follow bruce springsteen on tour wherever he goes and uh, that one you know would require a, a big lottery win, I think, because his tickets to his show are not cheap, and I'd need a lot of time off work because his tours tend to last months and months and months. But uh, following Bruce on tour would definitely be a dream come true. Oh, that's a great idea. I just like to see him once. 
You know, like I'd like to see Springsteen at Giant Stadium. I'd like to see U2 in Dublin. But I think if I'm picking one thing, it would be uh, I'm I'm slowly working off the Major League Baseball stadiums because that, that is just for me uh, amazing way to spend time. But I would like to do the four major tennis tournaments, the Grand Slam, so Wimbledon, mm. the French Open, the U.S. Open, and the Australian Open. Oh, okay. So that that's what I'd like to do, and I think our friend Christian O'Mel is uh, on track to try and uh, accomplish that. Uh, that feat. So, but I'm putting that on my list. I'm putting it out there right now. Oh, it was Roxy's listener, Sarah, who is one of my friends in Selkirk says it was Roxy's <laughs> by the red uptown cafe in Selkirk. Yes, that's it. I'm looking at the picture right now. Thank you for the reminder, uh, Sarah. What about you, Loren McNabb? Well, it used to be, and it still kind of is. It's just the list sort of keep changing. I, I wanted to see the seven natural wonders of the world. When I was much younger, I had lived in Zimbabwe, and so I saw Victoria Falls, and and then I went, and someone mentioned it's the seven wonders of the world, and I thought, oh, what is this list? And so I went looking, and of course, it has the Great Barrier Reef and Rio de Janeiro, Mount Everest on that list. But these seven wonders lists, like they keep expanding. Like there's seven wonders of the ancient world and seven wonders of the world built by man. And I'm like, can you? just have one list so that I can hit seven things but I think I think it'd be a good way to get around and see different things and then sort of say I'm definitely not going to climb the seven tallest peaks in the world but I could probably go see seven different wonders of the world so that would be mine Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Loren, earlier you were suggesting you need a nickname like the Big Boss, and uh, Eve has suggested the Queen of Punny with a glass of Chianti. Or is it Chianti? Chianti. Depends if you want to say it in, isn't it Hannibal Lecter voice? With a glass of Chianti. Chianti, yes. (laughs) The Queen of Punny, because Loren likes a good pun. So we appreciate that, Eve. Who doesn't? I know you guys love it. I love the puns. I think uh, Greg likes the puns, too. It's what I wake up for every single day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. The duck said to the bartender, put it on my bill. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard it a million times, and it's still funny. (laughs) (laughs) I've told you a million times we don't have any grapes. (laughs) Hey, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is joining us, by the way, at 7.37 as COVID numbers continue to rise. How do we turn this around? But we do want to start this hour on the pandemic. And look, we know this pandemic is having an impact on the mental health of Canadians and our kids. And since COVID-19 hit Canada back in the spring, the firm Morneau Chappelle has been tracking how we're all feeling. So Morneau Chappelle provides mental health services to thousands of Canadians, and they have what they call a mental health index and they regularly go back and check in on it asking Canadians a series of questions and it turns out that we're starting to feel now the same way we did back in April Greg which isn't good. Yeah and with that second wave upon us we're we're taking a look at this. Paula Allen is the Senior Vice President of Research Analytics and Innovation at Morneau Chappelle the firm behind this mental health index. She joins us now. Good morning Paula. Good morning. So please tell us, what did you find and what is the current score on your index? And maybe you could compare it to a previous months and, and a little bit about how it works. Uh, sure. Well, 
I think the main thing is that when we started this index, you know, we started doing it monthly in April. And from that point, we realized that there has been not a small or negligible, but a massive decline in mental health of Canadians across the board. So anxiety, depression, isolation, all of that. And we've been seeing a little uh, flicker, a little um, wave of, of slight increase uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. So in April and March, as we started to get into routine, not very much, but then we've started to see declines again. I mean, it's it's really a long-term uh, risk that we're facing right now. And your survey found that uh, mental health is even more concerning for those who are uh, returning to the job site or to the office? Yes, actually. We, you know, what we found is that cha- people don't like change, and there's certain parts of change that have really kind of separated people, and, and their mental health scores are a bit lower. So anybody who has just recently returned to the job site, their, their scores are declining compared to those who are staying where they were, so working from home or working at the work site. Uh, but we also found that even though some people are adapting very well at home in terms of schedule, working from home, those who stayed where they were, so didn't have any change uh, from before the pandemic, were doing even better. So again, you know, moving from the work site to work from home, decreased mental health scores, and then moving back into the workplace is actually decreasing it even more as people are really feeling anxious. What's weighing most heavily on their minds, Paula? And again, we're speaking with Paula Allen with Morneau Chappelle, the folks behind this mental health index. What is it uncertainty? Is it finances? Is it just overall anxiety about where this might go? Overall uncertainty is really one of the main drivers, and financial uncertainty is really the top driver. So each month we do what we call a driver analysis to really determine what makes the difference between those who are doing a bit better and those who are not doing quite as well. And that level of financial uncertainty is a very big deal. Um, And again, one of the things that we found is that part of the reason why we had that bit of an up up flicker, that small uh, improvement in the, in the beginning was that Canadians were starting to save more. And having some savings, having some uh, safety net really, really kind of cushioned some of that uncertainty. But we still have massive uncertainty. And unfortunately, in September, we've seen that uh, Canadians are actually starting to deplete their savings. So the one thing that was really kind of helping us feel more in control, at least that one thing, there's other things we can do as well, has started to backslide a little bit. So we really need to pay attention to that. We've just got about 90 seconds or so here, Paula. But the word motivation shows up in this report as well. And we're discussing uh, winter getaways, snowbirds, and uh, this whole idea in certain parts of Canada. The payoff for a lot of us is is getting through the winter with a vacation to somewhere warm. And so we were curious if that motivation, if that that carrot of uh, your Jamaica getaway or or your getaway to Kelowna to go skiing for a week is off the table because of COVID. How will that affect potentially your performance at work and uh, just your overall feelings about life in general? Well, well, the driver of this decline is overall just general fatigue. Like it's been quite a while since we've been through this state of upheaval. We haven't settled. We still need to be on high alert. We don't know what's coming yet. The financial uncertainty is still there. And some of the things is like vacations and, and like things progressing in your career, at your work, 
you know, that hasn't really been happening. And those things get give you give you a little bit of a, a, a boost. So we have this fatigue, we have elements of burnout. I mean, I really can't overstress enough that we right now, because of this pandemic, are at higher risk. So it's really much more important for people to reach out, to get support. Family and friends are one, but there's professional supports available. Uh, There's a CBT that's being offered by the Manitoba government, internet-based. There's EAPs. We really need to make sure that we can't let this decline in motivation and increase in anxiety really take us over because it doesn't need to. Paula Allen is the Senior Vice President of Research, Analytics and Innovation at Morneau Chappelle, the firm behind this mental health index, which we've been discussing. Thank you so much for the time, Paula. We much appreciate it. Thank you. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, a Manitoba couple has spent the last 17 years golfing every golf course in Manitoba. They have completed their quest. You can read more at cjob.com. We've shared Amber Magookan's story on our 680 CJOB Instagram story, and it has inspired this morning's question, what would your bucket list tour be? And you can text us at 204-780-6868 for your chance to win some Santa Lucia pizza just after 9.15. And Loren, um, one potential contender here comes from someone who really tugged at your heartstrings well kelly texted this morning to write i am determined to remarry my wife every year on her anniversary in a different city location province country state etc and then i could frame and hang each and every marriage certificate on our wall for as many years to come as possible and so i asked kelly oh wow have you already started well they just got married last year in toronto and they wanted to do something special this year of course with cavit COVID they can't. So they're going to remarry here in Winnipeg. Just so happens the 26th of this month, October 26th is their anniversary. So he's asked us to spend, send a special early happy anniversary to his wife, Amanda. And I love that idea. That's cute. You get a trip and you get something romantic out of it too. I like it. Yeah. I mean, that's commitment because you got to, you know, oh God, we got to, I, what, I, I, my fear is at one point it'd be like, okay, we're getting married again. It's been like the 17th. Like, do we, can we just make this every five years, every 10 years? <laughs> no. It's a milestone. You, the thing is good about it. You can be like, listen, I have married you 47, literally <laughs> married you 47 <laughs> times now. If you don't trust me by now or believe me by now or get me by now, I mean, why did you say yes all those times? My, one of my favorite episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm enthusiasm is when Cheryl and, and Larry are renewing their vows and uh, Cheryl wants to include the the notion of for together for all eternity <laughs> and Larry says I thought it was till death do us part and then we're sort of free after that <laughs> and so the whole notion of, of where does the uh, commitment end and begin is uh, an interesting conversation but well, maybe we'll just leave it there we've had a lot of great text messages coming in uh, I think uh that Jeff Braun said following Bruce Springsteen around on tour would be yeah. something else. One of our listeners says, uh, follow Iron Maiden around the world and be there for every show. Somebody else says, stay in every major hotel in Vegas. That sounds fun. I like that. A lot of people always say, ah, who cares about the hotel? But for me, the hotel is half the fun. And it's something aspirational, right? Because it's expensive if you want to stay at some of the fancier places like the Bellagio or if you want to go to the Venetian or uh, one of the Wynn hotels, you got to shell out some extra coins. So just being able to say, hey, I could afford it that time, that's part of the fun for me. But it usually ends up being like, uh, you know, the bargain 
bargain basement uh, flamingo special, which is fine. The flamingo's fun. I've stayed Cowboys too, and it was interesting. But you could say you've been in every Which hotel. One? Cowboys, it Cowboys. It's like way down the strip, and it used to be cool. I think back in the seventies. I'm not sure, but oh my. in any event, <laughs> you could also just say I walked into it. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. COVID case counts are climbing, Greg, in many parts of the country. Yeah, and Toronto and Ottawa casinos and theatres have been closed for a second time this year. And indoor dining at restaurants is once again off the table in efforts to control the spread of COVID-19. West of us, Alberta's top doctor says she's heard reports of a growing number of COVID-positive Albertans reluctant to share who they've been in contact with after they were exposed to the virus, saying she understands people are tired and angry, but refusing to work with contact tracers is only making things worse. And of course, we know the situation here in our province. Per capita, Manitoba has the second highest number of cases in the country, sitting just behind Quebec, Lorraine. So this morning, we're turning to the nation's leader to ask what can be done about it. We're joined now by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Good morning. Good morning, Lorraine. Thanks for joining us again on our airwaves. Uh, I think many people would agree that this is moving in the wrong direction. How worried are you that Canadians are no longer listening to you and our premiers and our health officials and, and taking this the way they need to? Well, I think, I think this second wave is, uh, it's really exhausting. I mean, it's frustrating for everyone to have to, uh, have to keep going through this. I think we, uh, we showed that we can pull together and get through this as we did in the spring. Uh, and then people sort of got used to the slow burn through the summer. And now that cases are spiking again, uh, with the approach of winter, with the approach of flu season, we need to get things back under control. So people know what to do. And quite frankly, uh, we're able to do it in a more targeted way now than we were uh, in the spring. We know what types of businesses are more likely to, uh, uh, to uh, spread COVID-19, what types of activities, uh, and that's why we're able to be uh, more targeted a little more across the country. Of course, uh, every province is going to take its own, uh, own decisions around what it does exactly to control the spread of the virus, but having more tools like the COVID app uh, and making sure that the, the, uh, the federal government continues to be there with supports for families, for individuals, for workers, for small businesses, uh, help on rent, help on uh, help for seniors, these kinds of things uh, is gonna, are going to keep us able to do the right things uh, medically to keep, uh, keep us safe while we're not uh, totally ruining uh, uh, people's, uh, people's economies. Respecting there's a balance there, Mr. Prime Minister, but there might be a messaging issue, a problem with from the top down, people not understanding what they're supposed to be doing. Restrictions from province to province vary, and some might argue that that there's been too much gray. And so from folks like yourself, Dr. Teresa Tam, you know, they're looking for a more clear and concise message and feel like they're not getting it. Well, I think one of the things you have to recognize is uh, the situation is different right across the country. And the federal government's role is to be there first of all, to directly support Canadians, as we have been with the CERB through the spring, now with the Canada Response Benefit, Recovery Benefit, uh, with a strengthened EI. We're going to continue to support people directly, and we're going to be there to support the provinces as they make the decisions that are right for their communities. So it's the province that determines you know, what levels of orange or red you're in, uh, what businesses should shut, how people should behave, you know, what, what, what 
things are, are going there. So uh, our job is to, is to support the provinces in the things that they need to be able to do it. And the federal government has done that from the beginning, and we're going to continue to do that. Uh, Prime Minister, it's Greg Mackling speaking here. And th- this this whole idea of testing and contact tracing, we've heard from the get-go that it was such an integral part of, of combating COVID-19. And now we're hearing in Ontario that they've essentially abandoned contact tracing in Manitoba. We're hearing that it's increasingly becoming a challenge for those doing that job to actually perform the task efficiently. Uh, it seems as though this might be a- an issue with regard to resource whether it's dollars or human resources. Is the federal government prepared to step in and give the provinces uh, some additional direction, maybe it's human resources, to get that part of the job done? Uh, Yes, absolutely we are. And not only are we now, but we were ready in the spring, which is something I laid out to uh, to the premiers many times during our uh, our first conversations, uh, help them get the testing levels up. We gave them uh, $19 billion uh, over the summer so that they could ramp up their testing. Unfortunately, not uh, every province has hit their uh, uh, their uh, the, the, the agreed to targets uh, that they'd committed to in terms of tests per day. Um, in terms of contact tracing, we've made available federal employees that uh, only are waiting for an ask from the provincial governments uh, to come in and actually do more contact tracing because we know that's important. Uh, But another piece that can help is that COVID-19 app, which uh, means that it will automatically notify people you've come into contact with if you test positive. It's a way uh, of doing it anonymously, completely privately, uh, but allowing it to be able to to get that message out there that people should maybe isolate themselves or, or get themselves tested if they came into contact with someone who uh, subsequently tested positive. It's a free app. Um, it's totally secure and totally private and anonymous. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, the user doesn't have to do anything except, uh, except uh, call public health if, uh, if they choose to. I mean, it's, it's voluntary. Uh, and I really, really recommend all Winnipeggers, particularly with the, uh, uh, the record levels coming in right now, uh, to make sure they're downloading that app on their smartphone. So if we can unwrap that a little bit to uh, decipher it, uh, Mr. Prime Minister, the money is there, the people are there, you're just waiting for an ask from provinces to help out, in particular if we're going to focus on, on contact tracing and even more people uh, f- for testing. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, we are there to there to support uh, provinces right across the country, and you know, we, as a federal government, uh, need from the very beginning. We've been there with PPE, with tests, with uh, reagents, with uh, with all the the research and science necessary. Uh, it is up to the provincial government to uh, uh, roll out the pre- the uh, resources uh, that we've made available to them in the right way, and and ask for more if they need it because we're there to help. Uh, that's what the federal government has done every step of the way and that's what we'll continue to do and you know the work that uh, our MPs on the ground whether it's uh, Dan Vandal or Jim Carr or Terry Duguid or Kevin Lammerer and others and connecting with their communities and making sure that uh, Winnipeggers and Manitobans are uh, are safe uh, is what we're going to continue to do. Mr. Prime Minister it's Brett McGarry speaking we've been telling Canadians for months to avoid non-essential travel what would you say to Canadians who are looking to head to the states to snowbirds who maybe want to go to the states or even further south this year? 
Uh, well, listen, the first thing is, as you say, the recommendation is to avoid non-essential travel, and that's for people's own safety. I know there's a, a lot of people very worried about uh, what's happening south of the border in uh, in Florida and Arizona and California and other places where uh, the virus is uh, is not under control, far less under control than we are here. Uh, the challenges around the healthcare system being overloaded down there and access to health insurance here, uh, making sure you have coverage in case something does happen, uh, is a lot more difficult. Uh, for people's safety, we really are encouraging them to follow public health advice, which means uh, non-essential travel. Uh, we're certainly hoping that we're able to uh, to get through this uh, uh, this second wave in Canada and things get better uh, quickly. And, and we're going to watch carefully to see how things are going in the United States as well and, and encourage people to, uh, uh, to make smart decisions. Why is the word encouragement used so often? Why don't we just mandate it or make a guideline? We keep saying we, sh- we, we, we don't really want you to do this, but we're going to let you do this. And so why not just change the language there so that we can make sure that people are doing the best for their health? Well, there, there are uh, a lot of uh, jurisdictions and a lot of places where it's not encouragements. Uh, you know, businesses shutting down in certain parts of the country in targeted ways. Um, you but know, the travel and border question, Mr. Prime Minister, is more directly to you. Uh, yes. Well, that's why we say, uh, you know, non-essential travel. Um, non-essential travel is uh, is not uh, not recommended because ultimately, you know, if someone you know someone chooses chooses to travel, we're not going to keep them imprisoned in Canada. There is a freedom of movement in this country. We're just we just people have to recognize that they're putting themselves at risk, they're putting uh, uh, their loved ones at risk, and and uh, you know they may not have the kinds of supports or uh, uh, health insurance or repatriation flights that we did uh, early on if they choose to leave the country and, and you know people people can make their own decisions uh, but a travel advisory from uh, from from you know the government of Canada to not travel outside the borders unless it's essential travel um, is about as, as strong as we can go so on the border front mr. Prime Minister will you commit to keeping that border closed indefinitely until covid cases in the USA drop um, we have we have committed to, to keeping Canadians safe, and we keep uh, we keep extending the border closures because the United States is not in a place where uh, where we would be, feel comfortable reopening those borders. And as I said from the beginning, we will continue uh, to make sure that uh, Canadian safety is uh, top of mind when we move forward. We see the cases in the United States and elsewhere around the world, and we need to continue to keep uh, keep these border controls in place. Mr. Prime Minister, the government's uh, committed to banning plastics by 2021, but, you know, I'm a former restaurant guy. I I owe a lot to the restaurant business and have lots of friends in that industry, and it's been as hard hit as any. Uh, The way that many of those restaurants are staying afloat is via takeout and delivery services. Is this the the right time to concentrate on on taking away uh, vessels, for lack of a better terminology, for those business owners to, to get their product to their customers. I think I'm, I'm young enough to remember when my Big Mac came in styrofoam containers and people made changes towards cardboard. I mean, uh, people are very innovative in terms of that. What Canadians know uh, is that uh, there is far too much uh, plastic going into our landfills, not being recycled into our environment, uh, that uh, needs to be cleaned up. It's a commitment we made two years ago, and we've worked with 
uh, industry partners. We've worked with people to, to find uh, replacements uh, for uh, for some of these single-use plastics. I mean, stir sticks. We know lots of people are using uh, wooden and, and cardboard stir sticks instead of uh, plastic ones. Uh, this is something that people understand is its time has come. We've, we've, uh, we will continue to make sure uh, that, that uh, this has no impact on medical supplies or personal protective equipment because uh, that's absolutely essential. That was already baked into uh, baked into our approach. Uh, but we know that moving forward on a ban of harmful plastics uh, is is something that time has come. And speaking of time, we know we are tight for time. Just want to quickly ask you here about the spread on First Nations. It's a big concern here in Manitoba, particularly where hospitals and ICUs are not close and accessible. What are we doing for these communities? Well, from the very, very beginning, we put uh, extra resources into supporting Indigenous communities uh, across the country, particularly the rural and remote ones, because lessons we heard, we learned from uh, uh, past uh, pandemics in recent memory, uh, showed that there is a high level of vulnerability because of the of the you know the the lack of medical services, the uh, inequalities that already exist in terms of access to care. Um, so we're going to continue to work very, very closely with Indigenous communities to to get the support. Uh, that they need and mostly to try and keep cases out of those communities. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate Pleasure the time. to be with you all. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, if you are just tuning in, we just spoke to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. You'll be able to listen to that at cjob.com in the audio vault right as of 8 o'clock. Loren McNabb, quick reaction to what you heard from the PM. Well, I don't know if there was a lot new other than that it kind of reaffirms my point be made that there are some mixed messages out there, right? Like the the border is closed, you can't cross by land, but you can fly by air for non-essential. We don't want to mandate things, we just want to encourage people to do the right thing. We know that that encouragement isn't necessarily working because people aren't buying into the science based on what we hear from listeners and or are just tired. And so in some ways, it's some of the same tired answers, but it is interesting to hear from him in terms of how they think things are going forward and that he gets that sort of COVID exhaustion that might be out there. The question is, what do we do about it? And and I'm not sure I I still understand the resource question in terms of dollars. If if we have the money, then why aren't testing lineups smaller? If we have the money, why aren't results coming more quicker? Is it the people? We don't have the people, Greg. Like, so that's, I think there's still just a lot of confusion out there. I I heard a commitment there that if there's an ask, uh, it just needs to be made. And uh, with regards to the plastics and the the whole idea of putting an extra burden on one of the industries that've been hardest hit by COVID, I'm not sure I was necessarily displeased with the answer, but uh, once again, I guess it would just be easier in my mind to to reconsider and go, you know what, maybe now is not the time. Let's press pause on this for 18 months and, and until we have bigger fish to fry and, and that makes its way to the top of the list. I suppose I wonder how long we hit pause on a whole number of things, though, right? I mean, as we looked at our list this morning, all the number of questions you could ask the Prime Minister, so much is focused on COVID right now, but there are so many other concerns like the planet, and, and which is why they're pushing for that plastics ban, right? And so I hear what you're saying, Greg, for sure. I just think on the other side, one of my concerns for leaders and for politics in this country is that we've got a whole host of other problems like transit and sewage and water on First Nations and all the rest. And while we keep our eyes on covid that stuff still has to be dealt with. Fair enough. I got a text message, by the way, from my buddy Mike, who says, you spoke with the prime minister this morning. I'm sitting in my basement talking to my cat. Who, <laughs> who's doing life better? 
And I said, well, you have a basement to sit in. So I would suggest you're doing life better. Could what be, kind of cat? Could it, what kind of cat? A talkative cat. Who, 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 it could be one of those memes, how it started and how it's going. <laughs> it's a great cat, by the way. Hello there, Maximus. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, in case you are just tuning in, we just spoke with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. You can listen to that at cjob.com in the audio vault, or if you subscribe to the Start podcast, that should come in to your pocket device to have a listen to that. Uh, We've put it out on Twitter at 680CJOB if you want to listen to it there as well. And again, we'll make sure that it gets included in our full podcast a bit later on this morning. One of the things we talked to the Prime Minister about was travel. Well, this just in from Calgary. WestJet says it is indefinitely suspending operations to Moncton, New Brunswick, Fredericton, Sydney, Nova Scotia, and Charlottetown while significantly reducing service to Halifax and St. John's. The airline is also suspending operations between Toronto and Quebec City. The suspension eliminates more than 100 flights weekly starting November 2nd. The travel industry obviously one of many industries having a tough go during the pandemic. And on the subject of traveling, Manitoba snowbirds, Greg, are facing some tough decisions this year. Mm-hmm. Well, some have already decided to stay home. Others are still hoping to escape the winter. Joe Scarpelli has been talking to snowbirds and he joins us live this morning. Good morning, Joe. Morning, guys. So tell us, what are you hearing from folks that normally get away for the winter? Well, we're hearing uh, a bit of everything. There's, uh, the, you know, there are the people who say they are staying home. They're not going anywhere this winter. Um, but then there are some who say, or and then there are some who are going regardless. They say I'm uh, I'm heading south no matter what. But the majority seem to be playing it by ear. Uh, one of those people uh, I spoke to, his name is Roland Bazinet. Now he's been going to Palm Springs, California, for the last. 30 years. Every single November, he packs up his things and takes off for the winter. But uh, this year, he decided to cancel his November flight, obviously because of the pandemic. But he's still hoping to uh, go in January. He has a flight booked for January. He's hoping to uh, go then if things calm down. Now, he says if the situation gets worse uh, around Palm Springs, he's going to cancel that flight. But uh, if things are about the same as here, he says uh, he's going to be heading down. Here's why. If things are about the same as here and we have to isolate here a little bit and wear our masks, I'd rather do it over there with the 20, 25 above as opposed to 30 below zero year. Now, many of his friends who go to, uh, to the same uh, complex as him, uh, he says they're they're uh, planning on doing the same. He says it's a, it's a seniors complex where he lives. It's a gated community, uh, and a lot of the seniors are obviously taking the, a lot of precautions, so he would feel safe if he were to decide to go. Joe, I'm guessing it kind of depends on where people might normally go, if they head to Mexico or if they're heading to the States, maybe which state and how cases are going there. Because I know there are also folks who are making the tough decision to not only not travel, but to potentially sell those homes they have south of the border. Yeah, and I also spoke to somebody who is uh, selling their place in Arizona. His name is Tony Zarello. He's from Winnipeg. He purchased a property in Arizona in 2009, and that's when uh, houses were really cheap uh, around that area there. But he decided to get rid of it this summer. 
he, uh, he, you know, the pandemic obviously keeping him away from his home and uh, he doesn't want to pay for a property that he's not using. He told us it's a, you know, a, it was a very, it was a hard decision, a bittersweet decision, but he felt it was a good time to cash in on the appreciation of his home. Here's what he told me about his decision. It's like any investment. I mean, you buy it, uh, you have an intent on using it over a period of time. But now with the COVID being what it is and travel restrictions and the U.S. not being the safest place in the world to visit, uh, still have all the expenses of owning a home down there. So having all the expenses and having no use didn't make any sense. Now, I even spoke to Tony's realtor. She's uh, originally from Winnipeg. She's uh, She's been working in Arizona for the last 20 years. And she says a lot of her Canadian clients are doing the same. They're uh, they're, you know, thinking the, the same way Tony's thinking and uh, deciding to get rid of their places. As for Tony, he says instead of paying for uh, a place uh, that he's not going to be using, he'd rather just, you know, save that money, sell his place and use that towards more vacations uh, in different destinations in winters to come. At 7.37, just about a half hour ago, we spoke with the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, and we asked him about, you know, people wanting to travel south for the winter and what was his advice to snowbirds. And he said, you know, we're still saying avoid all non-essential travel, although they're not mandating that. So for those who are thinking about going, there's other considerations, not just the cost and the virus, but but insurance as well. Yeah, insurance is the major one. I uh, spoke to... uh the president of Snowbird Advisor, that's an online resource for Canadian snowbirds. His name is Stephen Fine, and he told me that uh, anyone who is considering going uh, anywhere outside of Canada this winter, you you have to know your insurance policy inside out. That's one of the most important things. Uh, here's part of my conversation with him. We're not covering COVID until recently. Uh, a handful of companies have recently started covering COVID, uh, and I think you'll see more uh, insurance providers covering COVID in the future. Uh, the issue is that the, the coverage offered by different providers um, varies. Uh, you'll, so if you're going to be purchasing insurance, you really need to go take a look at the, the, the terms, conditions, limits, language of your policy to make sure that you really are covered for COVID. And then aside from insurance, he also says you need to consider the local restrictions and uh, flight availability should you need to leave. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, it is time to crown our winner at 204-780-6868 for the Santa Lucia pizza. We've been asking you for your bucket list tours uh, based on that Manitoba couple that did a tour of all the Manitoban golf courses. And Greg, I, we'll see if we can share a couple more after, but we only have time really to win. read the winning text, which came from Marsha. Yeah, she must have been hurting, uh, listening to uh, Kelly Moore earlier. My husband is an avid baseball fan, has been since a child. We saw a Blue Jays game and we're very fortunate to see a Yankees game. Both awesome seats from home plate, first based area. He's such a good man and a hard worker. I wanted him to have a great holiday travel experience. A couple of years ago, I suggested to him, she suggested to him that (laughs) they go and do a summer tour to see a home game in each of the Major League Baseball stadiums. We were going to lay the plans this year for next summer. Not going to happen. Way too risky right now, taking in the playoffs on TV. So congratulations to Marsha. 
And congratulations to Robert for having such an awesome wife who would yes. uh, consider doing that. Wow, what a trip of a lifetime. I think she gets more than half that pie. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's a two-third split. Large two-topping <laughs> pizza. San Lucia coming your way, Marsha. We've emailed, we texted you to get some details. And thanks to everybody, as always, for sharing your great stories. It's always been a lot of fun reading through your stories. Ackling McGarry and McNabb, we love to bring you stories of resilience to the spotlight and to spotlight Manitobans who are doing extraordinary things. This morning, we want to introduce you to a mom who has an incredible story to share. Her name is Jennifer Wilder. The fact that October is Dwarfism Awareness Month was the reason that she reached out to us, the excuse, if you like. Truth is, her story is worth exploring any month of the year. Her blog is entitled, or you can find it at smallbutfierce.ca. Loren, will you share with us a part of Jennifer's email to us? Happy to. Here's uh, in part what she had to say to us. I'm a 36-year-old educational assistant living in Winnipeg with my husband and two girls. I'm writing to share with you a bit about my story. Myself and my two young daughters have a type of dwarfism called hypochondroplasia. This type is only found in less than a thousand people worldwide. This month gives us a chance to talk about dwarfism, talk about which words are offensive, what makes us different and even the same, but most importantly, what makes us unique. Shining the spotlight on dwarfism gives children like mine a chance to showcase how they are capable of doing anything and creating empathy among those we live with. And we're pleased to welcome on the start this morning, Jennifer Walder. Good morning, Jennifer. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for reaching out because uh, it allows us to speak with moms like yourself who are working to make sure the world's a better place for their kids. And I think, uh, as Greg said, your story is inspiring to stay the least. Tell us a bit more about your two daughters. How old are they? And, and a bit more about this type of dwarfism. What does that mean? Uh, yes, I have two daughters, Alyssa, who is 10 years old, and she's in grade four. And McKenna, she is six years old, and she's in grade one. And both them and myself have uh, what you call like uh, hypochondroplasia. And basically, like without medical jargon, it just means we're really short. Um, our bones have a smaller, smaller bone growth and our heads are a little bit larger, like all the typical uh, traits of dwarfism. But it's just a little bit more rare as it's not as distinct and it's harder to be treated and harder to um, have research about it. So on your blog, you were discussing the fact that both of your daughters are excellent candidates for limb lengthening. Did I get that correct, Jennifer? Yes, limb lengthening surgery. Um, I had that when I was in grade seven. And it's a surgery that basically you break the bone and it with pins and with a, like a year time frame, the bones are pulled apart and it naturally new bone will go in the middle. So it's kind of like a forced growth spurt. And with that, I grew seven inches. And my daughter's, um, my oldest is about probably going to have it this year. And then my younger will have it in a few years. Wow. Seven inches. That's, that's not an insignificant amount of height. Why did you decide to go through with that? I mean, I'm sitting here listening. That sounds like a potentially painful operation, surgery and recovery. And you know what? It was, I won't hide that. Um, but it was worth it. And for that, at that time, it was more because I wanted I was just under the height that I wouldn't be able to drive without modifications. I wouldn't be able to do um, certain things like reach the doorknobs properly. And this would provide that 
but at the same time, it took away a lot of risks. Like um, with dwarfism, your legs tend to bow out a little bit and they could break or they, you can even have a, such a bad break that they'll paralyze. So with this surgery, it straightens out your legs and avoids those type of risks in the future. So that was the main issue. And then kind of the bonus was getting a little taller and being able to have those luxuries that a lot of people take for granted. So on your blog, you were discussing the fact that both of your daughters are excellent candidates for limb lengthening. So um, I guess, can you tell us a bit more about that process and deciding to explore that possibility with your girls? Yeah, it was um, more myself because, I mean, I've been through it and I know it's hard, but I also know the reward, like I wouldn't change it. And so we do it through the Shriners Hospital in Montreal. Um, It has to be done through there because through the state's, it would cost us up to $50,000 as it's deemed kind of cosmetic. But the Shriners Hospital provide uh, the surgeries, they provide the airfare, they provide everything for us, the schooling for the girls while it happens. And so we flew out there and just before the pandemic to have them assessed and they were obviously perfect candidates. And my daughter was supposed to get the surgery uh, this past summer, but uh, with the pandemic that has been put on hold. Yeah, just one of the many things in our lives, right, that uh, have been delayed or put on hold. And so that's that's an added challenge to you for sure, Jennifer. I, I'm curious as a mom uh, who grew up with this type of dwarfism and then and now have two kids with it, and you can at least help walk them through it, whether it's the surgery or that first day of school. Has that helped in the experiences uh, for both you and your daughter in terms of helping them understand who they are and, and being proud of who they are, but also how to deal and react with those in public who might have questions? Because I'm sure you can imagine or remember a few stories from when you were younger about some of the things that you didn't appreciate uh, that might get said. Yeah, and I think my parents did a great job raising me just like as a normal kid. And that was what was constantly told that I could do everything. I just made maybe it had to be modified of how I did it. So that's what I try to instill in my girls. And I try not to make a big deal about it. And when it comes up, we address it head on. Um, We have an open conversation at home that if someone says something, we'll explain it. And, you know, I have a very open relationship with their school and our teachers and any issues are brought right up. And we also educate the class, the classes. And it's just it really creates an acceptance. So it doesn't stigmatize it at all. There have to be some gifts that come out of this. I've heard many people talk about one individual that I always think about is a former coach of the Blue Bombers, Jeff Reinbold. He always spoke with me about the gift of cancer, and it seems counterintuitive. But it has allowed me, since I heard him say that about a decade ago, to think about the things from the outside that look like a disadvantage and to find the gift in them. What is the gift that that you and your daughters have received uh, based on on, uh, on dwarfism? I think a lot of it is just that I see the world so differently. Like, I almost consider this to be blessed because there's so much else that we could have or so much else that could go wrong. But we're given this. We're still given our lives. We're given so many different opportunities. Um, we're very stubborn. We, like, I've... I kind of use this as an excuse to do things. Like I learned how to drive a bus. I'm I'm determined to prove people wrong. If they tell me I can't do something, I'm going to find a way to do it. (laughs) I'm I'm applauding while I sit at home while I hear that. I think that's an incredible, it's about perseverance. But then also I think your goal today was to share a lot of this with everyone because there's so much more to hear beyond 
what you live with or your the name of your of your dwarfism there's just so much more than that yeah and there's like so many different types and like we're approached i mean i know other people in winnipeg who have it like the type i have my daughters and i are the only ones in winnipeg and very few in canada but we're always approached and that sometimes we even get the question like do you know the people from that show and i'm like no <laughs> we're actually yeah we're kind of I want to educate and just kind of normalize it as much as I can, you know, like not to be on display, but to just be a part of the world, a part of the community. You point out on your blog, smallbutfierce.ca, that we still live in a society where it's okay to mock or imitate or shout comments at or take photos and generally humiliate people living with dwarfism. Do you think we'll ever get to a point or do you think we are getting to a point where that is becoming less acceptable? I think so. Um, I think there's a lot more acceptance just because of, yeah, like all the, everything that's going on in the world, acceptance of who you are, whether it's race, gender, anything. But there's also what I like, pointed out in my blog there, there's the social media age, and I never had to deal with that growing up. And now I see it, and I, I, that's the part I fear for my daughters. <laughs> Yeah, I think all of our kids are are in that boat. We we worry about what they're going to deal with, and and you would have obviously some reasons for some heightened concern there. Uh, but there is some. I just love to find the positive, so forgive me for that. But just for anybody out there that might be dealing with anything uh, that makes them different, what's what's your message, Jennifer? You know, being different is good, and that's what I tell my girls. I said, "You're unique." You don't want to be the same. You want to prove to them that you can do things your way. You're Alyssa. You're McKenna. You're not just a person. And everyone's different. Everyone has their challenge. Everyone has something different about their look. And it doesn't matter. That's just, that's who we are. And that's what we're given. And we need to go with it. Jennifer Wilder joining us live on 680 CJOB. Once again, her blog, smallbutfierce.ca, where you can read her post on Dwarfism Awareness Month. Jennifer, thank you for taking some time to tell us your story. Very much appreciated. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.